This is just posted. Uh, federal judge excoriates top Trump aide in devastating order. One minute ago. One Peter Navarro, who still insists on not giving back presidential records that he has never had a right to in the first place. All right, let's just review the bidding on this guy, because for sheer chutzpah, he is about as um, out there as it gets. But he was a very dangerous actor around January 6th. He, this is a guy with no real portfolio or varying, um, no real portfolio to put him at the center of Trump. And yet he somehow was very involved in the maneuvering at the end. And he is the author of The Green Bay Sweep, which uh, he's very proud of. It actually was a somewhat dangerous scenario if they had gone through with it. So, so much of Trump, uh, what he wanted to do was to get the uh, states to flinch or say there was a problem or there was fraud or get the DOJ to do that. Navarro had another idea. This is the Green Bay sweep. And just starting with Arizona and going, moving through all the six states, he would just delay delay enough to get past January 6th so then and Pence would have needed to go along so there was just such utter chaos that then it would go back to the states and they the uh, everything would have been upended and when the pieces fell maybe they would fall in Trump's favor it actually would have been a more effective strategy than the patently illegal one that they um, pursued and fortunately were not able to consummate ending in the mayhem of January 6th itself. All right, back to Navarro though. He's, first of all, he has been held in contempt by Congress and his trial is pending. Remember, there have been a couple people uh, like Mark Meadows who've been so central to um, the president that the DOJ uh, decided to stay its hand and not bring criminal contempt charges against them. I think, although it's opaque, on the theory that uh, maybe they had some good faith belief that uh, there really was executive privilege based on a DOJ uh, doctrine that if you're really, really close to the president, you get cloaked in it. But Navarro, no way. He, again, is this weird hanger-on, and uh, the DOJ approved uh, contempt, and he's set to go to trial as soon as the courtroom's clear uh, with the, the, the big seditious conspiracies that are going on now. All right. Anyway, though, whole separate uh, and apart, he took these documents, 250 documents. You know, they are not his property. They've never been his property. And he's got, you know, the Presidential Records Act is super clear. You just have to return them. Nevertheless, he's been fighting it with um, uh, extreme and brazen arguments. And so we had something unusual happen uh, today uh, that really is a good illustration of how so many of the judges have stepped up and, and shown exasperation and the real end of the road for um, these crazy delay tactics by Trump folks. So she says they're mine. And uh, plus, if I 
give them over. I may um, incriminate myself and other sort of um, garbage bin arguments. And the district court on Saturday ruled against them. They said, what are you talking about yours? They never were yours. And uh, it is well past time to um, to give them back. Now, of course, that's pretty pretty straightforward. But now he did a fairly routine. Okay, but just give me a stay, please, uh, while I go to the court of appeals and delay this. This is something that, that Trump has done repeatedly, and we've seen it. We've seen courts give very brief stays just so it works out. And so it was pretty um, dramatic that the judge uh, just this morning issued opinions that you don't get a stay. A stay is conditioned on irreparable harm. You cannot get irreparable harm for by uh, the giving back documents you've never had the right to in the first place. So you can try yeah. to get one from the Court of Appeals. Good luck to that. But as of today, as of today, you turn those those over. So um, it's it's overdue uh, as and you know that's the way the legal system works. But satisfying to to see the courts, you know, find give total back of the hand treatment to some of these claims as they deserve, and nobody is up there higher than Navarro. I think he's out of options. He can try for an emergency stay from the Court of Appeals. Doesn't seem too likely uh, to me, and the memorandum opinion from the district court is properly scathing, like really calling him out for his uh, brazenness and and, you know, he said it at one point, this is a case of first impression. And the district court said, if it is, it's only because no other uh, presidential official subject to the President Records Act has ever um, thought to assert that they can just keep all the records. These are not the officials' records. Uh, you know, I laugh, but it is also really emblematic of the arrogance and the um, attitude that the law just doesn't apply to them. That has really been, you know, a big part of the whole virus that spread through uh, Trumpdom and uh, has brought us such trouble and continues to bring such trouble as we uh, await a um, indictment from the Manhattan DA's uh, office and a um, possible civil, you know, disorder and um, re reaction from the Trump faithful buoyed by or spurred by uh, continuing false claims, including doubling down once again. I've now moved to Trump, so stay with me, uh, that the election was stolen, et cetera, et cetera. So Peter Navarro is a bit of a cleanup from last time. We're headed into to next time, but he is um, a uh, kind of a you know barnacle still hanging on with the uh, Trump strategy and that, you know, we fortunately died and we have to worry about again. All right, so there you go. With any um, with any luck, Navarro's uh, quixotic effort is at an end. And of course, uh, we're just about any day um, to turn to what's going to be the new normal of a former president under indictment and every single motion stay of uh, the piece of paper being interpreted in the maw and the uh, maelstrom of the political election and the distortions that Team Trump might try to pull.
Okay, so there you have it, a bit of a satisfying uh, small little chapter in Coda on, uh, on Peter Navarro. Uh, and I don't think there are others hiding in the, in the bushes with more um, uh, presidential records. And he, of course, is still standing trial for contempt, so the system isn't done with him. Alrighty, there you have it. Uh, so much more coming this week. Until then, talk to you later. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this video and other Talking Feds content, please take a second to like and subscribe. Talk to you later. software solution drive streamlines case management <sighs> you've joined the midweek edition of legal af where we have cultivated the most consequential stories 15 hours the intersection ago. of law and politics you may know what happened but we explain what happens next on today's show we address what is going on with the manhattan da's office grand jury criminal investigation of donald trump and the stormy daniels hush money cover-up and we'll, and we'll talk about a number of things. Why is the grand jury taking a month-long break? Is it cold feet by the prosecutor or something else? What can we make of the last witness before the break being the former publisher of the National Enquirer, David Pecker? And what could the second crime that they need be? And is it possible that the grand jury is looking at more than Stormy Daniels? And what, does it matter that Donald Trump seems to be ordering the grand jury around in his social media posts? Then we're going to turn to Jack Smith. And now that he's successfully stripped the executive privilege away from Trump's national security advisor, intelligence director, homeland security advisor, Mark Meadows, the vice president, when is his charging decision going to be made and what is it going to be focused on? Is it going to be some sort of conspiracy around national security violations and Donald Trump? Is it Mar-a-Lago or Jan 6? We'll get to the bottom of it. And then finally, we have developments in the E. Jean Carroll defamation and civil rape case that starts in just less than a month. The judge having just ruled that Donald Trump is not going to be able to get out on summary judgment and have dismissed the last defamation claim that happened after he was president. We'll talk about what that means for the trial on, on, uh, on moving forward. This is the midweek edition of Legal AF. I am Michael Popak. I'm joined every Wednesday by my co-anchor, former top prosecutor, current amazing lawyer, Karen Freeman Ignifolo. You've seen her everywhere, but she's exclusive today to Legal AF, and our episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Karen, how are you? Yes, good to see you. So much going on. It's not the law and order set today for you. It doesn't seem to be some sort of green room. Where are you? Home. You're home. Is it, I'm home, is today. It home a nice is it home a nice place to be sometimes? The one good thing that came out of the pandemic is the work from home, the ability to work from anywhere. I love it. I would never go back to being forced to only be in an office. I love that I can work in different places wherever I am. So a lot more flexibility. That's true. However, I will tell you that I was in 60 Center Street, the main courthouse that we talk a lot about, at least on civil side. And I have been back in court. I was at the Second Circuit arguing an appeal about eight months ago. But I was first time in that courthouse before, since before pandemic. And I loved as a trial lawyer being back in that courtroom, in that courthouse. 
I just love the smell of it. I love being around it. Um, there was like one person on every floor, but it, it was fun to be back as a practicing lawyer and trial lawyer. It was fun to be back inside of a courtroom and not inside of a Zoom box. But this is what we do, and podcasting is made so much easier by our ability to do anything. Talk about your office and the Manhattan DA's office, because you know we get some um, understandable criticism for trying to predict when things are and when we're wrong or we're off or the timeline is a little bit skewed. You know, people get upset, and I understand that. We'd like to be right every time. If you, if you look back at our, I don't know, 250 episodes of Legal AF, stretching back two and a half years, you know, we're we're more right than wrong. I mean, we're probably batting 950 if you look at old episodes. So sometimes the timing gets a little bit screwed up. Like, we think this is the week for the indictment. No, this is the week for the indictment. And now we've got what we've now learned is that there is going to be a scheduled break in the action because of the holidays in New York, which as a New Yorker and terrible way in others as well, is very important to New Yorkers, more so than probably any major city in America. New Yorkers take <laughs> holidays really seriously, regardless of your religion. We were joking before the podcast today about if you own a car in New York and you have to you have to alternate side of the street park, moving your car from one side of the street to the other to allow for street cleaning. You will learn very quickly, regardless of your background, all of the major Jewish holidays, and even some of the minor ones, because those are the days that you have to move your car. So, again, holidays are really, really important. And they were important to Alvin Bragg and the prosecutor's office. I mean, one of the things that prosecutors or lawyers like to do is keep the grand jury and the jury happy and content. It's the care and feeding of the of the jury because he wants them to be in the right frame of mind to make decisions that are important. So you make sure they get their lunch on time, you make sure you're ordering from the right restaurant, you give them breaks, you let those that are smokers or or fumers, they can go out and do that for a bit. Well, you know, you, you they take a coffee break because you know it's a hard job and it's very emotionally draining to be on any type of lunch jury. So what we've learned this week is that in January they promised, prosecutors promised, that there would be a gap for Passover and Easter and spring break so that all people's vacations and uh, family obligations wouldn't be negatively impacted. And so we are apparently now on that break. They got one more witness in, and we'll talk about it on the show today, David Pecker, the former publisher, uh, really disgraced publisher of the National Enquirer, and what his link through Michael Cohen through Kellyanne Conway is back to Donald Trump and that Stormy Daniels hush money cover-up. Um, and then the grand jury's got other stuff to do, and apparently they're going to be doing other stuff this week, having nothing to do with Donald Trump on other crimes and other matters, not, not involving him. And then they're going to take their break. They're allowed to do it. They're working kind of hard. Then they're going to come back at the end of April. And then we're going to be back with the indictment watch, as our director Ben Mysalis likes to call it, at the end of April, in the beginning of May. Now, with that timeline, we're pushing up against Tony Willis. Because if Fucking Willis in Fulton County looks like she's going to be presenting to her regular grand jury in May. So it looks like May is going to be super active. But let's start by unpacking it all with my co-anchor, Karen Freeman at Niffalo, formerly number two in the very office of prosecuting and investigating Donald Trump and Stormy Daniels. And let me go through a couple of questions. One, is the break unusual? Do you read anything into it? Let's start. No. <laughs> okay. 
like everybody should just climb off the ledge. It's not a, it's not a sign in your your mind, then, Karen, that they're they're getting cold feet about the indictment, that the case is cratering, buying into any of the attempts by Donald Trump to draw Alvin Bragg into a footfall of any kind, right? No, I mean, look, there's a couple of things. First of all, everything is happening in secret, right? So this is. The grand jury by its very nature is secret. The only reason we know about this is because of witnesses who have gone in and if there have been spotted by reporters who then report on it or who have talked about it publicly. So the only reason we know anything about the grand jury has nothing to do with the DA's office telling us anything or the courts telling us anything. It's really just things that you can glean. So if a witness goes in in the afternoon, you know it's an afternoon grand jury because the grand jury sit in the afternoon. Or if a witness goes in on Monday and Wednesday, they usually, these special grand juries usually sit for two or three mornings or afternoons per week. So we know, for example, based on when witnesses have gone in, it's a Monday, Wednesday, Thursday afternoon grand jury. Things like that, that again, nobody's announced anything like that, but we know it because we can surmise it based on facts that we see. And so it's and so the same thing with a, a long-term grand jury when so so grand juries, just to back up a minute, the way to charge someone, the only way to charge someone with a felony in New York, I shouldn't say the only way, the, the main way to, to go forward with a felony in New York is with a grand jury indictment. A defendant can also waive indictment by a grand jury and then be prosecuted. But but it's it's you have a right to have a grand jury indict you if the prosecutor wants to prosecute you for a felony. And so you go into a grand jury. Now there's always uh, about between four and six grand juries happening in Manhattan at all times. And some of them are two-week grand juries where they sit all day for two weeks. Some are four-week grand juries where they sit half days, like there's a morning grand jury and a afternoon grand jury. And there's, there's different grand juries that sit, that here are just the routine cases that come in and out of the office. However, some cases can't be, uh, can't, can't be presented in either that two-week or four-week time frame. And there are some cases that you know are going to be long-term investigations. You don't know if they're going to go anywhere. And so what you do is you call for a special grand jury. And special grand juries sometimes can can sit for 18 months or for six months or depending on how long you want them for, you make an application to the court and you apply for a grand jury for a certain amount of time for a certain number of cases or, or investigations and then the grand jury sits. And so... What, and they and they come up with a schedule, and one of the things they look at are holiday schedules. Now, the reason they're taking two weeks off has more to do with childcare than it does anything else, because the public schools are off and the private schools are off during the two weeks that they have chosen. Is and two, what, Karen, is it two weeks or a month? I thought, I'm reading, I'm reading no. it closer so, to a month. So the reason they're saying that, so so people have decided that the grand jury so there's a there's thursday tomorrow and there's monday next week and people have decided for whatever reason and i'm not sure why that there will not be a vote on either of those days i still think there's a chance that there could be a vote tomorrow or monday i don't i haven't seen any indication that that couldn't still happen so i'm well, i am sort of a lone voice out there i think saying this but i still think there's a chance 
So if you were, in other words, if you were the prosecutor, just because there is a scheduled vacation coming up doesn't mean that in the remaining days from then until now, Alvin Bragg couldn't call the grand jury back to vote. Well, they are coming in tomorrow and Monday. The reporting is that they're coming in to hear a different case. And they might be coming in to hear a different case, but that doesn't mean they're also not going to be charged and vote on this case. It doesn't take that long to charge and vote. It could take, I'd say in this case, I would probably leave an hour, uh, maybe hour and a half at most. But, so you could, you, there could still be an indictment tomorrow or Monday in this case. But the reason I don't think it will go past Monday is because next Wednesday and Thursday are Passover, so you will lose certain grand jurors or, uh, at that point, and then you don't have a, you, you might not have a quorum, which would be you need 16 for a quorum, and you need at least 12 to vote to in favor of an indictment, and that cuts it a little close. And so I don't see it happening next Wednesday or Thursday. So, and then there's two weeks after that, and so that's why people are saying a month because they're saying we lost this week, we lose next week.
making the sausage together out loud, you know, in front of everybody. And we're, we're, main, you know, we're mainly on point because of the judgment that we bring, bring to bear here. Let me, let me continue with the checklist of things I want to cover with you while we're doing the podcast today. So the, the, the third one is, um, and you and I did a really, a really great, it's fun to do it with you, a mini legal AF hot take of about 12 to 15 minutes that people are interested in.
programming. By the way, this is a barnyard ASMR. Come on, fucker. Okay, um, I don't know what happened to know. Stop. Because of um, their campaign violations related to Donald Trump, they entered into a non-prosecution agreement with the Department of Justice. <laughs> with the Southern District of New York, who was investigating in return for them cooperating and testifying ultimately against, it was against Michael Cohen at the time, but by extension by Donald Trump. And what they, under oath, told the Department of Justice is that David Pecker created the catch and kill program, offered it up to Kellyanne Conway and Michael Cohen in a meeting down in Florida, because he's a buddy of BFF of Donald Trump, going back to when they were both playboy, you know, um, you know, bachelors down there. Um, and so, and, and the plan was, you find the people that said that they slept with Donald Trump, and I'll go pay them off, enter into confidential non-disclosure agreements, and bury the story, and never, it'll never see the light of day. The catch and the kill. And they, uh, and he offered it to Cohen and McDougal, and the, uh, uh, Cohen and Kellyanne Conway. And the first test case was Karen McDougal, who was a playmate, a Playboy playmate, who, like um, Stormy Daniels, claimed that she had had sex with Donald Trump, you know, when he was married, and was going to go public with it. And they paid her. It was close. You can see the going rate, the market rate that Donald Trump was paying for these types of stories, $150,000. That one got paid directly, apparently, and Pecker admitted to it, as did his company, paid directly to um, uh, Karen McDougal. This one took a little bit of a circuitous route where it, the um, Pecker connected Cohen to Stormy Daniels' attorney, and the payment got made. Kellyanne Conway was in the room for the description of the of the plan of the of the program the scheme and that seems to be the focus so let's talk about it he already testified in january pecker to the grand jury he's one of the first there's nine people that went into the grand jury he was one of the first of the nine people focusing i guess on corroborating and bolstering michael cohen's testimony as a witness that has a little bit of baggage and the first one that comes back in because the grand jury asked for it or otherwise after robert costello former, I don't know what he was, I don't know if he was the lawyer for Michael Cohen, but he was something with Michael Cohen, had come in and, and crapped all over Michael Cohen because Costello took to a podium in front of the press and said he did. Um, and then they bring back uh, Pecker. So, prosecutor hat, Karen Freeman Ignifolo. Why, why, after January, is Pecker back? What does it mean for Donald Trump? What does it mean for the case? And how close they are to indictment? So... Pecker testified three months ago or more, and that's a long time in the world of a trial or a grand jury, and if this was a normal trial where someone testified three months ago, you can, you could, in your summation, you can remind people of what the person said. 
but in this particular situation in a grand jury, there are no summations or closing arguments, and there's no opening statements either, and there's no cross-examination of witnesses. It's, it's really just a, you're supposed to just put in uh, bare-bones evidence. But this has, this whole grand jury uh, presentation, which happens sometimes, by the way, this is not unusual, uh, this happens sometimes where a defendant might testify or a defendant might ask for witnesses to come in. It, it sort of turns into a mini trial. And that's what this has, has turned into. And so Bob Costello presented information to the grand jury that was contrary to the people's theory, the, the government's, the prosecutor's theory of the case and uh, contradicts some of their evidence. And so what, what Alvin Bragg is doing now with his team is they're rebutting the evidence. And that's why they put David Pecker into the grand jury to rebut the evidence of what uh, Costello said. Uh, one other question I had was, are they waiting on records or documents? Is that why they haven't asked them to vote? Because, you know, perhaps to rebut some of what uh, Costello said. Perhaps there's some other, um, not witnesses that they're waiting to call, but perhaps records. And, and you need a subpoena to get certain things, and you need an open grand jury, so they can't have voted yet in order to get to issue a, a grand jury subpoena. So there, there could be lots of reasons why things are happening, but all anyone is doing is giving it their best guess. And all I'm trying to do is give options, that it could be this, it could be that, but it, but don't read certain things into it. What, it. what it doesn't mean is that there's some problem or that this is unusual. And, you know, Donald Trump in his, in his Truth Social posted, I think it was today, uh, this this whole thing about I've gained such respect for this grand jury, you know, perhaps even the whole grand jury system, the evidence is so overwhelming in my favor and so ridiculously bad for the highly partisan and hateful DA that the grand jury is saying, hold on, we're not a rubber stamp, which most grand jurors are branded as being. We're not going to vote against a preponderance of the evidence or against a large number of legal scholars all saying there's no case here. You know, th this this message is so is is so chock full of of information. Number one, the IA gains such respect for this grand jury and the grand jury system. He's trying to butter them up. He's hoping they'll see this and that somehow, because he knows that a week ago he threatened them, right, or threatened the, the, the prosecutor and threatened death and destruction, you know, for, for and that scared them. You know, they're humans, right? So they, they see someone with a, with a baseball bat to someone else's head and threatening death and destruction now that, of course, he walks that back on Hannity and claims that, that he didn't do that, but that's, of course, preposterous. But look at that, but, uh, but don't, wait, call on Karen, don't drop, don't drop the last line. You, le you left out the last line. Let's put it back up. Drop the sick winch hut now. That's <laughs> yeah, like a exactly. command to the grand yeah. jury. Well, yeah, he's definitely, so this to me was absolutely to the grand jury. This, this yeah. is absolutely him talking to the grand jury, like you just said. Drop the sick witch hunt now. And again, he's buttering them up because he threatened them already. So now he's like, I'm not a bad guy. I, I think you're great. I have respect for you, right? So, so that's, so that's sort of his, you know, 
his his statement to the grand jury and trying to get them to, to do that. But, you know, his what he's trying to do is mislead people to, into thinking that the fact that there is this gap in time, if there is one, has anything to do with the fact that it's someone's having cold feet or that it's, you know, the case is not overwhelming in his favor. You, you know, all, all the things he's saying in there that he's just Again, he's making it up, but but this is very much him trying to influence the grand jury because he thinks that that's what this is what he, what people are calling a delay. What I'm calling is just the normal fits and starts of a grand jury. I mean, there are times in a long-term grand jury where where you have witnesses back to back to back to back, and there are other times where you'll have you know, a month where you won't even hear about that case because A, they might be hearing another case and B, you might be waiting for other witnesses or other records or other things that you're trying to do in that grand jury. So, so a grand jury is not like a trial where it's every day and, and you know, you, you can predict it. This, a, a, a long-term grand jury really sits and fits and starts. So this isn't a pause. It's not a delay. It's just a matter of logistics, timing. And again, I still think security is a huge issue for law enforcement and is one of the factors in determining when they're going to ask the grand jury to vote. So, yeah, I, uh, I agree with it. I, for me, Pecker's a bad sign for Donald Trump. I think he's not a fa he's the most unfavorable witness to Donald Trump. He had immunity at the federal level. As you pointed out in prior podcasts, he automatically gets transactional immunity so he can testify at free will uh, freely without worrying about being prosecuted for what he says. And we know from the non-prosecution agreement and the... Um, and the factual uh, statements there, what his testimony is, which is all about, I devised the catch and kill program to help Donald Trump. Donald Trump knew all about it. Donald Trump funded it and ultimately paid it, whether he paid it directly or he did it through Michael <clears throat> Michael Cohen reimbursement. That is the nub of, of Pecker's testimony. And the jury wants to hear it again. Um, and we already know that the, 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 the Achilles heel for the case, if you will. And there's been reporting that um, recently that like Alvin Bragg made a comment. I don't know if it's true or not. You don't have to comment on it, Karen, if you know anything that's insider. But that he originally had said about Michael Cohen, I am never going to prosecute a case where Michael Cohen is the lead witness. Now, that apparently, if that's true and that's been reported, he's come around Alvin Bragg after meeting with Michael Cohen a number of times and feeling better about him as a witness but we know that Michael Cohen's credibility is at issue and bringing in witnesses that can bolster aspects of his narrative of his story is a very good thing for the prosecution and a bad thing for Donald Trump because everybody who who isn't Michael Cohen that says the same thing and sings from the same page of the, of the hymnal as Michael Cohen about a certain meeting, about a certain event, like Kellyanne Conway and David Becker, that's a bad day for Donald Trump. So it's not like it's a, a witness that is exculpatory, um, you know, leading to the innocence of Donald Trump at all. It's a bad witness for Donald Trump. And, and he could be whistling in the graveyard. We know why he tweets in social media these days. He wants to control the narrative for political purposes and for fundraising because he keeps he needs to keep those spigots on. And every time he's the, he's persecuted, and he, you know it's persecuted Donald Trump, he gets a million dollars a day in fundraising. That's why he does it. Um, 
And of course, it backfires when judges, and we're going to talk about one a little bit later, when judges latch on to his social, social media posts to, um, to nail him from a legal perspective, because what works in the court of public opinion in social media does not usually work in a courtroom with a person in a black robe who controls your fate, either financially in a civil case or your, your, your liberty in a criminal case. And so those worlds are all colliding and collapsing on Donald Trump because you know every button he pushes that would usually work if he were not in the crosshairs of multiple indictments isn't working here because these are just exhibits that prosecutors are using and will continue to use against him. Just as we at the Midas, at the Midas Touch Network are watching his social media to report on it and then try to integrate it into the legal cases, the prosecutors and the investigators are doing the same darn thing. And they're saying, how does this piece of new evidence today, like the social media truth thing that you read today, Karen, how does that fit into our case? Either goes to mens rea, criminal intent, or a, undermine a defense, or is it inconsistent with something else that he has said? You know, and so people are scrambling, but they're doing it for a purpose. It's not a game. It's it's for it's for these prosecutions. The last thing I want to cover before we move on to the other two segments tonight is this whole debate that's still raging about what the second crime. You need two crimes here in order for it to be a felony. Everybody agrees to that. The one crime, uh, we already have one crime. We know it's going to be charged. If there's, a, if there's a charging decision, an indictment, it is going to be false books and records entry because of the cover-up around the $130,000 payment. The structured nature of the payment, it was multiple payments back to Michael Cohen. They grossed it up so that he wouldn't suffer any tax consequences. So they gave him like the 30 or 40% more. So if it wouldn't be seen as he wouldn't get hit on his income tax and have to pay more taxes. Also a sign of, of, uh, of criminal intent. Pretty much like help people, you know what I mean? Like help other chosen ones to be healed or just other people that just got lost in the matrix type shit. Like to know that you're a chosen one, like your childhood, nine out of 10, your childhood was pretty much difficult growing up. May have abandonment issues. And you feel like you're being overlooked by your- The chosen one, YouTube clips and hot on the trail of Trump going to fucking jail. Family, you never really fit in. You're mad different from your siblings. Like you see Are you the chosen one in your family? Question mark. <clears throat> YouTube clips and hot on the trail of Trump going to fucking jail. It's always something about you people don't like about you, but it's never a reason why they don't like you. Growing up, you always get hurt by the people you try to help. You're always considered as like you're weird or you're crazy. You like being alone because you feel like you can't relate to people. Bugs and animals vibrated to you. Like even if you're scared of them, like they have this type of you have this type of energy with them that nobody could like understand. As more you grow and you turn Hi there, this is a message from the Department of Justice. Here's your daily reminder that every mass shooting that happens in America Blame yourself. Trump's committee is routed.
because you want to hide it and hide the nature of the transaction. So you got all of that going on. They over, they gave him a bonus and a kicker for having pulled it off. I mean, these are all things that are really, really important, but they're also crimes in the state of New York. They are, they're misdemeanors unless they're in furtherance of another crime. And that second crime, because Karen and I talked about this before we got on, doesn't have to be a felony. It could be two misdemeanors, like two wrongs don't make a right. Two misdemeanors can make a felony. Because if you're the misdemeanor of books and entry is covering up another crime, as long as it's a crime, misdemeanor or not, or felony, it creates a felony. And so the misdemeanor, and let me throw this one out at you, Karen, because we've talked about a lot of different ones. Is it money laundering? Is it is it um, is it tax evasion? Because you got a tax deduction on the Trump organization side for listing it as a legal expense back to Michael Cohen when it was really a hush money payment to Stormy Stormy Daniels, which is not deductible by the Internal Revenue Code. Um, is it that? And then the the latest one I want to throw at you, and and maybe we can have our producer put it up on the screen. Is New York Ancient Aliens History Channel, The Hunt for Atlantis, excellent show, exclamation point. Election Law 17-152. Now, I looked at 17-152, and I looked at the definition of election, because everybody focused on this is a state crime, but this was a federal election. But if you look at the election law in the state of New York, it doesn't matter. Election is not defined as state or federal. It's just an election. And 17152 is a conspiracy to promote or prevent an election. Any two or more persons who conspire to promote or uh, prevent the election of any person to a public office by unlawful means and which conspiracy is acted upon by one or more of the parties shall be guilty of a misdemeanor. So if you're making an illegal campaign contribution, which in effect this is, because you're trying to uh, gag Stormy Daniels from going public during a campaign, which would wreck his chances, that's sort of unlawful means. So, and, and just one thing to put this in historical perspective. Um, to, to compare Democrats and Republicans. Uh, Bill Clinton had this problem on the campaign trail, too. Um, he had a lot ben of women that came out um, <clears throat> in that era in 92 and 91 and said, uh, me too. I also had an affair with the governor. He made an inappropriate pass at me. He touched me. We had sex. Um, in fact, it was colloquially referred to at the time in a totally politically incorrect way as among his campaign staffers as the bimbo eruptions that these women who were being misogynistically called bimbos were coming out of nowhere and they were having to deal with might have such live stormy daniel income tax fraud case exclamation point lol the difference is that, that at least for that one, putting aside Monica Lewinsky, um, Bill Clinton didn't try to pay them off or have other people pay them off to get rid of them. He just dealt with them at press conferences. Donald Trump went this next step further on lawful means and a crime. So let me turn it to you. Do you think 17152 could be the crime or do you think there's some hole in my theory? No, no, it, look, it, the, the only hole in your theory about that is that, like, and the, the name of the case escapes me right now, but there's a, uh, there's a, a case that, that 
that held, holds that in a federal in a presidential election or a federal election, federal election crimes preempt state election crime. And so it's they're, they're saying because of that, because it would preempt it and the feds already passed on it, that uh, that therefore it wouldn't apply. But, you know, I, I am not as caught up in this as so many other people that this you that you do need to prove a second crime. Really, because if you read the statute falsifying a business record in the first degree, what it's about is, is you know, you falsify the business record, you, you, um, you, intent, you, you intentionally deceive, with the intent to deceive, um, you fraudulently, you know, enter a false business record. But the, but the problem is, you know, what, what makes it a felony Ancient Aliens History Channel Hunt for Atlantis exclamation point. Is then in the language is you intend to cover up or conceal a crime, not that you committed another crime or you're concealing right. a crime it's so, that you intended so it's the intent to commit a crime or the intent to conceal a crime and so so you know i would argue as the prosecutor i'd say i would say the reason we know he intended to cover up or conceal a crime is because he was he was why else did he structure the atlantis was a pre-diluvian civilization that was worldwide and far more advanced than today's so-called civilization exclamation point payments over 11 times and why else did he lie about it and why else did he you know what I, I would say we don't know if his intent was to cover up or conceal michael cohen's crime of tax fraud that would have count because it doesn't say who had to commit the crime. We don't know if he intended to conceal. If he's truly the victim of extortion, then he's doing it to cover up that crime, right? right. Him, in some ways, you know, because it doesn't say who and it doesn't say what. So it's just, it has to be a crime. And it could be one of the three that you mentioned, and, or it could be these other people or these so other So here's the question. Here's the question. And I think you, I think I know the answer, but I'm going to nerd out with you in a minute. And I think we've talked about mm -hmm. this before. It is not necessary, is it, former Madam Prosecutor, that they charge a second crime? No. It's just that it's right. So they're not going to put on, that's where everybody makes the mistake in mainstream media. They're like, what could the second crime that they would charge me they don't have to charge they just have to say it was in furtherance of another crime it could be a stale dead crime that it already happened ancient aliens history channel hunt for atlantis santorini exclamation point and somebody else's crime as you just outlined it it's just that that is the object of the furtherance of the conspiracy. By the way, he could have also, because it's the intent to commit or conceal a crime. He could have also said to David Pecker, you know why I'm doing it this way? You know, or to Cohen or somebody else or Kellyanne Conway or Hope Hicks or whoever, you know, he could have said to someone, you know, the reason I'm doing it this way is so that way I don't have to, I can deduct this on my taxes. But then at the time he chooses not to deduct it on his taxes. 
that still would count because the intent to commit a crime was there, even if he didn't do it. He still did enough so to be guilty. This is why I love doing the show with you. It's just, I don't, and then I, I also hope that people like watching us do the show together, but that's, that's those kind of observations. Yeah. But, but look, we're, we're going to continue to follow this. I can't think of a better person for our audience to listen to and hear the analysis of the Karen Friedman Niffalo. I'm just going along for the ride, trying to hold okay. it up my end, my end of the bargain. They, they might charge a second crime. You said, right. you said do they have to? But they don't have to. But they might. But I think that's the blind spot in a lot of analysis, that, that people are thinking they have to, and what could that be? But we're going to talk about that. We're going to continue to follow this both here on the podcast, on the weekend edition as well, and then in the hot takes that Karen, Ben, and me have been doing, God, almost on an hourly basis and during this indictment watch period, uh, indictment watch season. And we're going to talk about two really amazing other segments uh, as we move forward. We're going to talk about what is going on in the E. Jean Carroll case. The clock is ticking there. We're three weeks away from picking a jury in the civil fraud case for E. Jean Carroll um, in her claims against Donald Trump uh, in civil rape and for the second defamation that Donald Trump did after he was president. And then we're also going to talk about Jack Smith. He's had a big week in front of two, not one, but two chief judges of the D.C. Circuit Court because he, he had Beryl Howell and then he picked up uh, Jeff Boesberg, who took over for a new seven-year term. And they're like 10-0 and 0 in stripping away the executive privilege from like every important person in Trump's inner sanctum is now naked in front of the grand jury without an attorney-client privilege, without an executive privilege. The only thing they got left is Fifth Amendment privilege if they think they've committed a crime. But we're going to talk about what that probably means for where Jack Smith is in his charging decisions and as to which grand jury. But we're going to talk about that next. Karen and I are professionals, but we're not that type of professional. And while we <laughs> hopefully make people feel better about law and politics, um, we have a great sponsor that we're going to have come up next. They've been on our show before, <laughs> and that's BetterHelp. We're not that kind this of professional. This brought to you by our sponsor, BetterHelp. Higher for she's changes. Rise and shine. <laughs> ah, no, the sun. Just kidding. I'm wearing native. She's a liar. She changes her story and attacked her. That's Carol 2. Carol 2 is going to trial on the 25th of April in the federal courthouse in New York. Come hell or high water, as one of the judges likes to say. It's happening. <laughs> Judge has already made rulings. Judge Kaplan has already made rulings. He's already said that the national that the uh, the, the uh, testimony of two other women who say that they were also me too also attacked by Donald Trump sexually are going to be in front of the jury and that infamous Access Hollywood hot mic moment when Donald Trump didn't know he was being recorded when he talked about uh, pushing himself. We're professionals, but not that kind of professionals! Exclamation point! LOL. <laughs> onto women uh, taking advantage of them, sexually assaulting them, and grabbing their genitalia. That's coming in in front of the jury as well. And now the judge is making other rulings, getting ready for this trial. So just this past... Love you guys so much! Exclamation point. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much for your service. Um, defense filed a motion for what we call motion for partial summary judgment 
which is a way for the for the uh, defense or the plaintiff to say that certain issues on an undisputed factual record can be concluded or decided by the judge as a matter of law. You don't need a jury. Let's just make the decisions. And here is the facts and here is the law. And judge, you apply the undisputed facts to the law. And if the judge finds that there are undisputed facts and the law is on your side, you may get a judgment before trial. And that's called summary judgment. Okay. They brought one saying that um, even if he said and did all of these things on social media on October 12th of 2022 um, in his Truth Social, where he again attacked in a long string, many screen social media post, Carol, that that was covered by what New York recognizes, as does every other state, some version of it, the absolute litigation privilege, which means in the state of New York, under Section 74 of the New York Civil Rights Law, if you are just fairly and accurately reporting a judicial proceeding, then by doing so, you, you can't be sued for defamation because you're just fairly and accurately reporting a judicial proceeding. So the whole case turns on, the whole issue turns on whether, I mean, this is it, whether there has been a accurate report of the judicial proceeding by Donald Trump when he made the comments. Now, the way Donald Trump tried to weasel around this is that he said, well, I was just commenting about what the Carol One case was all about. And yeah, I took a pot shot at you, Judge Kaplan, which he did, and the judge noted, um, and all these other, but but it's completely within, I mentioned the case, so if I mentioned the case, even though I then go on to attack um, mercilessly E. Jean Carroll again, that's covered by the privilege, right? And the judge said, not so fast. Um, I, but but he, he, he methodically, in a 20-page decision, went through it. And I'm going to hear Karen's opinion, and then I'll give you a couple of highlights which don't help Donald Trump on the way into his jury trial. Now, one last thing before Karen speaks. All of this briefing and motion practice by the lawyers on issues like you know, legal issues, like does this immunity privilege apply and the statute limitation, the jury doesn't really know usually about any of this. By the time they get there, the case is sort of settled. The, the judge, along with the parties, have settled on the law that's going to be ultimately charged to the jury. Uh, what are the elements of this claim? What are the elements of this defense? What are the elements of damage? What's the jury verdict form going to look like? That's all sort of, you know, by the time the jury gets the case and deliberations at the end, that's all settled. Many of this is settled before so that the lawyers can talk about it in opening and say, this is the law you're going to see. This is what civil rape means. This is the elements of defamation. We're going to ask you at the close of the evidence to return a verdict in our favor, in a judgment in our favor and all that. So that, but this stuff right now, yes, the jury's sitting at home that doesn't know they're the jury yet because they haven't been selected. They learn about it. But the jury as jury doesn't learn about these types of developments unless it, it addresses evidentiary issues that they have to be instructed on and that type of thing. Okay, so you've heard about it, Karen. What did you make of this decision and um, Trump's attempt to get rid of this defamation claim? You know, it's interesting because I look at this, yes, this is a defamation case, but it's also a rape case. Like to me at its core, this is a rape case and yes, it's civil and yes, it is also a defamation in it. To me, it all comes down to the rape because if he raped her, then 
you know, you know, it all it all rises and falls on on whether or not it actually happened because truth is the defense, right? To you know, whatever to to uh, defamation, and so. I looked at this, what I found most interesting about the motion practice in this case was that the judge banned the lawyers from mentioning DNA evidence. Now, I know you asked me a different question and you asked me about the defamation, um, but I, you know, I'm not, 